everyone's favourite Christmas movie, Love Actually. And that's Laura Linney's character, who kind of gets shafted on the love front. But guess what? I find her the most relatable, because that was me for about five years. Dropping everything to answer the phone, that is. I've never had an Argentinian office romance, I swear. My mum was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease years ago, and was doing okay, living by herself in our family home. But then she started to decline and have falls and she couldn't really manage living alone at home anymore. I was in my 30s, still share housing, no mortgage or kids, eating salt and vinegar chips for dinner at least once a week and becoming used to jumping in the car at the drop of a hat to drive two hours to mum if she'd had a fall or gotten in strife and just to check in on her and the use-by dates of her fridge contents. You know that fable about the frog in the pot of water that slowly boils? That was me in how I became my mum's part-time long-distance carer. She's been in a nursing home for four years now, but caring for her has come to take top priority in my life, much to my surprise. I'm not going to lie, it's pretty grim watching your only surviving parent steadily decline in front of you. But the worst part is isolation and feeling like you're the only person in the world who's dealing with the stress and the juggle. But I'm definitely not, because there's upwards of 2.7 million unpaid carers in our country. That's about one in eight people. Almost all primary carers are family members, and two-thirds of these are women. And you know what? Given our ageing population, not to mention our changing social welfare system, Most of us are going to have to deal with this at some point, and some point soon. Welcome to the Keeping Mum podcast. I'm Megan Gannon, and I'm on a mission to connect with other carers and share our stories. Because when you've spent some time in this club, you realise there's no point keeping all the lessons you've learnt to yourself. In this episode, I talk to aged care consultant and advocate Nicole Dunn. She made the life-changing decision to become her grandmother's live-in carer a few years ago. This came out of the blue when she was working as a physio and care coordinator at a Melbourne hospital. I got a call when I was at work one day from my auntie and she was really concerned about my grandma, who had always been in really good health, been really independent, and um, uh, the, the call was basically that she had been told she needed to go to an emergency department because she was looking a little bit jaundiced and I just said, look, I'm finishing up, just just bring her to where I was working and it turned out that um, she was extremely jaundiced and after some tests it was discovered that she actually had pancreatic cancer and it was my work colleague suddenly telling me that, which was quite a shock. I mean, I was 32 when I became a carer for my grandmother and that wasn't something I had planned for or had expected at the time. You know, a lot of my friends were getting married, having children, um, and it took me a year before I met someone who was in a similar situation to myself as a young carer. 
Okay, so before we go on, let's talk about carer demographics. Like Nicole, I'd call myself a young carer because the average age of a primary carer in Australia is 55 years of age. But technically, according to the Australian government, young carers are defined as those under 25 years of age. A lot of media coverage focuses on what's known as the sandwich generation. These are, again, mostly women who are caring for their kids and often grandkids too, as well as elderly parents. Oh, and they're most likely juggling paid work too, because who can afford to be a stay-at-home parent these days or retire before you're 70, for that matter? We're hearing more and more about millennial carers, out of the United States at least. I'm a 1980s child and prefer to communicate via text message and cat gifts, so I definitely qualify. This is a tech-savvy, highly adaptable demographic that's on track to really disrupt the caregiving landscape. This is due to the sheer number of them who'll be caring for ageing baby boomers while our health and social care system is under increasing pressure. The one thing all carers share, though, is this stress of feeling responsible for the health and well-being of a loved one. You can be part-time and long-distance carers too. We're an inclusive bunch. I was still working at a hospital full-time and then being a carer, and it it wasn't so much the physical work, Mm. but it's just that absolute emotional hardship. Um, And, you know, my grandmother was given a terminal diagnosis. It was a year prognosis from when she was diagnosed. And when you know that in your mind and you're just trying to keep someone well and keep someone safe and keep someone supported and, and you know that in the back of your mind, it's just so difficult and it's so difficult seeing you know someone that has been so well and so independent deteriorate. When Nicole moved into her nana's house that had been the heart of their family for two generations she had a couple of conditions specifically an internet connection and a queen-size bed. She and her nana celebrated happy hour every night with a pims and lemonade and gossiped over tv shows. You know the things you miss when you live alone. But still, there was a new dynamic to their share house arrangement. You know, when you're looking after someone, you can't just do what you want. You you have to do what's needed. And so, I mean, I guess in the space of a few weeks, that had sort of changed pretty quickly. You know, I was the one paying the bills for the house and making sure all that was done. And I was the one getting the cooking done and the meals set out so she'd have meals throughout the day and checking all the medications and picking them up and scheduling all the appointments. And, you know, it's it's a different world when you've gone from, yeah, living on your own, doing your own thing to switching into... Um, more of a parent role. I didn't, you're doing all those responsible things, but I didn't really ever look at it as a parent role. Mm. You know, she was still my grandma and my nana. And um, I guess what was really lovely is she was still able to do all those nana things. So even though, you know, I was more than capable of looking after myself, she did those special things like um, like she would make my bed for me every <laughs> single day, even though I was more than capable of doing it, even if I'd pulled the blanket up. That's a queen-size bed too, so it's like extra degree of difficulty. <laughs> it too. is, it yeah. is. You know, I'd just sort of pull the blanket up and that was fine. And But she'd come along and industrially tuck Hospital the sheets corners, in. Yeah, yeah do nice. the corners. So you'd hardly be able to get into the bed at night. Everything was in so tight. But that was just something that she valued, was showing that she could, you know, still take care of her family. Mm -hmm. 
I'll admit, I really struggled to get my head around the idea of being a carer for my mum. Mainly because it's really destabilising seeing your parents suddenly vulnerable and relying on you. It kind of goes against the natural order, especially when your mother was as tough as mine. If you've ever had to coach your parents through a computer problem over the phone, you'll have some insight into the frustrations of parenting your parent. But times that by a hundred, and you're still nowhere near the pain of enforcing a walking or hearing aid on your elderly loved one. So she got like a really um, high-tech, amazing hearing aid um, about 18 months ago. Like it's even smaller than the one she had before. And it it always happens, like, if I'm just going to call in and visit mum on my way back to Melbourne, and I'm like, I'm just calling in for five minutes just to say goodbye, and then I'm like, where's your hearing aid? And it's not in it. I'm like, mum, where is your hearing aid? She's just, like, sitting there, like, looking at me, and I'm like, okay, don't get angry, but mum, you know you have to wear the hearing aid. And it's, we have this joke now, because, like, when I was primary school, I had many years of orthodontics, and I had a plate that I would never wear. And it was always before I had an orthodontist appointment that mum would be like, where's your plate? And I'd be like, ugh, and so like trying to jab in my mouth to like bend my teeth so that it was okay for the appointment. And my mum used to go so mad at me for not wearing my plate. And also I must have broken it or lost it like at least four times and she'd get so much trouble. But like with mum, like with her hearing aids or, you know, other sort of her glasses or whatever like that, it's like, it's just visions. Like I, I see her and I'm like, this is what you must have been like. But I mean, you can't yell at your mother because no. it's not their fault. But I'm like, oh, you know, just like, I would have gotten so much trouble pleasing this hearing aid. I'm a physio originally. And, you know, there came a point where my grandma needed a, a walking stick and, but she'd forget to use it all the time. Mm. And then, you know, we all have to go out and see the doctor and it's like, oh, you know, even the doctor said you need the walking stick and just forgets it could be here, it could be there, it could be anywhere or she'll walk along with it and it'll just dangle around yep, and not yep. even touch the ground. And I'd be like, just, you know, please use your walking stick. Where is it? Have you got it in the car? And I'm like, oh, at least just use the do- walking stick while we're at the doctor's because, you know, it's not a good look as a physiology <laughs> carer and then you, know, you just swing it, it just in. makes me look really bad. <laughs> makes me look bad, Yeah. <laughs> As well as, you know, it's really needed because, you, you know, we don't want you to have a fall, but it's it's just so awkward as a physio and a carer yeah. and then you're swinging a stick round into the doctors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nicole and I chatted about the aged care technologies that can improve quality of life and provide more independence, which can also ease a carer's workload and stress levels. But these don't replace the need for unpaid family carers. They just change the job description slightly. And it often means part-time, long-distance carers can shoulder more of the load. In this day and age, there's so much stuff that can help so many more people. You know, like for hearing aids, for example, they're so much smaller and discreet and state-of-the-art that, you know, 10 times as many people can benefit from a hearing aid as what maybe they could have, like, 10 years ago. But with all this technology, the, the maintenance of them, like, it's so much more complicated that there's like a so much higher like level of like expertise and technical know-how to be able and this stuff falls on the carers you know um so for instance mum's hearing aid doesn't have any volume control or buttons actually on the unit so if you want to um adjust the volume you sync it you download the app onto your iphone and you pair it like 
via Bluetooth with your phone and then the app on your phone, that's how you adjust the volume. So, like, it's it's amazing, but it's also, like, who the hell... Like, say you're, you're in your 70s and you're a carer for your partner. Like, okay, there are lots of people in their 70s that are down with apps and iPhones, but, like, that's kind of complicated, you know? And um, so when, like, for me, you know, being a sort of long-distance part-time carer, like, that's just a whole extra piece of work on your job description that will fall on you at some point generally when you need to leave right now, you know, and that's when you realise that, you know, mum doesn't have a hearing aid and you have to sort of find it and stuff like that. When you're navigating the aged care process, it can feel like you've been thrown into the deep ends before you can swim. But you're bound to have some relevant skills you can apply in carer mode. you just got to work to your strengths. If you're lucky, you might be fluent in health and hospital jargon, like Nicole was. Or you may be really efficient at email communication, like me. I'm a digital editor, and I have five siblings to update, so this really comes in handy. But getting home help and finding a place in a nursing home involves a litany of paperwork, assessments and site visits. It's a massive task. Especially if your loved one has suddenly been diagnosed with a terminal or degenerative illness, or they've had an accident they might never fully recover from. Navigating this journey planted the seed for Nicole to start up Empower Aged Care Consulting, which she launched two years after her nana passed away. Yeah, and it's not as though, I guess, when you need some help, there's just one place you go to and it it just all magically comes from that one place to your home. There's all these different avenues that you can get help from and it's kind of like, well, how do you know where to start yeah 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 like we can it's almost like where do you start you're paralyzed with the possibilities or like um I mean it's great having choice but then at the same time it can create a whole lot of extra layers of I don't know having to sort through and make decisions becomes a whole lot more complicated as well I've always sort of thought oh maybe one day I, I could do my own business in something but really had no idea of what that would be um And it was really, you know, being her carer and seeing firsthand how difficult it can be. Um, And I just remember thinking to myself, you know, if I find it difficult and I understand the system and I work in healthcare, just, you know, what do people do who don't have that background? Like, who are they talking to? Where are they getting advice from? How, How are they working this out? And it was always a question I could never answer. And um, that really made me want to go off and, and do my own consulting. You know, I feel really fortunate that I can use my own experience to then, you know, coordinate the care that people need to, to manage at home. And um, I'm really lucky that that is always on an individual basis and I'm always looking at an individual circumstance. And, you know, I can look at people through the lens of, well, you know, how would I treat my own grandmother and what if what would I want for her and 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 so I'm looking at you know people in that that lens um do you feel really fortunate to do do you feel I mean I guess um 15 20 years ago um your job wouldn't have really existed would it 
No. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think things may have been a lot simpler. Yeah. Um, yeah. A while ago, you would just ring your council up and, or your family doctor would have sorted things yep. out. Yeah, you have your GP and, and your G- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, with my mum, for example, she was a stay-at-home mum. You know, people, the role, I think, in particular of women may have been different, whereas it, it's totally changed. Everyone's working now. Everyone has to work. And it's not as easy as just swinging, you know, by for an appointment with your doctor and they yep. it all just gets done. It doesn't just get done because that sort of personal, um, you know, those personal relationships that you might have had with your council or your neighbours or your, you know, your GP, that, that has really changed sure. quite a lot. I think we're at sort of at a really interesting time now also because the aged care industry is rapidly changing towards this new kind of user-centred, personalised solutions kind of thing. Like it's, I don't know, it's an interesting time where, I don't know, I guess you can kind of really affect some change. And Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. I mean, I'm really lucky that with the work I do, I'm actually going out to people's homes and it's really about, well, how can people manage better at home? What services do they, do they need? What supports do they need? Um, what's important to them, and how can I arrange that? And and it's just about getting it done. So, um, and is that something that um, is always at the forefront of your um, clients' minds? They want to stay at home. As yeah, long as possible. absolutely. Most people want to stay at home for as long as they can. That's for a lot of people all they've known. That's where they feel comfortable. It's really daunting, the thought of living somewhere else. You know, for my grandmother, when she moved into an um, aged care facility, uh, and, and that's where, you know, she spent her la- the last six months of her life, she'd never been in one before. Um, and it was important to me as a carer um, to try and keep her at home for as long as possible because I knew that was her wish and mm. um, I was trying to respect that. I asked Nicole about her process for helping clients with difficult decisions in times of stress. I think for a lot of um, people who are thrown into the uh, carer role, um, often it happens due to a, you know, um, an incident or a diagnosis, um, and you know, there's that added stress of having to sort of make decisions um, on their behalf, like right now, um, and under stress. I think that would probably be. Um, might be a, a pretty common kind of, it's the sort of the ugly, you know, getting thrown in at the deep end. Not only you're thrown into the deep end of having to, you know, see your parent or grandparent or loved one in a kind of a new light and seeing them as being kind of vulnerable and unable to kind of look after themselves, but you're actually having to make decisions on their behalf that you don't feel um, sort of qualified to, to make. Um, and, yeah, it's just I, I think from from the f- people that I've spoken to, like that. Um, when I I always sort of say, oh, you know, what was your um, if you can think back on like what was your most stressful times, you know, they might sort of say, oh, you know, having to put the house up for sale because we needed to get the deposit to put mum into the nursing home, or um, having to um, having to make the call on getting second and third opinions because the specialists that we were originally dealt with for, you know, mum or dad's diagnosis was not helpful and, you know, was not improving things at all. So, you know, that was stressful having to kind of, you know, um, find the intestinal fortitude to actually put your foot down and say, no, we are getting a second opinion, you know. Um, 
do you is that something that you that that sort of making decisions um, on the fly and making decisions under stress is that something that you kind of relate to or that you can you try and um, help with your clients? Um, absolutely, you know they're really. Um, big decisions in terms of, you know, when is the right time to get help in and what kind of help should you get in. And um, I mean, just a really big decision, you know, that I had with a client the other day is, is, you know, how do you or how can you talk to someone who might have dementia or Alzheimer's and how can you reassure them that, that things are okay? You know, how do you do that? Um, how do you introduce new people to someone and, and you know, not have them be scared? And, you know, so they are, there are some really difficult conversations that you need to have with people. I think one of the most difficult is, you know, how do you know when you're at that point where someone can't remain at home anymore like when does that happen it's not like there's just a day of the week and oh, yeah. yep, it's Friday and, and there's certainly and there's on, like you know, no checklist <laughs> there's no like... checklist there's nothing that says there's no alarm that goes off that says today is the day that you know it's no longer to be sa- you no longer safe at home and um, you know we need to move into a nursing home and there's some of the difficult conversations that you have with people and I, I know that was a really difficult decision I faced completely under stress was when is that point that that I have to say to my grandma um you you can't be at home anymore you know your your care is beyond what I can provide even though I want to keep doing it I know Mm. I can't um and it's such a grey area, you know, it's like how long is a piece of string and it's different for everyone that's the thing, you know, there's no hard and fast rule around some of this stuff the thing that I found really difficult um, in the early days with mum as her needs were changing um, were the speed at which her needs change and the, the, the steadiness with which her needs changed. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, you'd have the you'd have the um, occupational therapist from the council come around and do a home inspection and give you all the feedback on, you know, move these rugs and, you know, make sure that there's enough clearance to get a walking frame around. And, you know, you'd make all these changes thinking, great, this is going to like solve all our problems. And then, you know, like two or three months later, mum's needs drop again. And suddenly that's all just sort of thrown up in the air and you have to start from scratch. And, you know, she, when she was in a nursing home um, and she was losing her um, ability, her ability to kind of find words and speak in full sentences was becoming, you know, more and more of a problem. So we were told by the speech pathologist, you know, we can get a communication device, which is like a sort of um, iPad tablet where you can kind of point to words and phrases and things. And, you know, we went down to Melbourne and went to the Urala Centre in Braybrook and got this like whiz-bang tablet and, you know, it was all fantastic. And like, two, three months later, her needs changed and that was just beyond her to, to use that. And um, I don't know, I found it so hard to deal with that. I think also because, you know, I'm, you know, a bit of a tight ass, and I really hate the thought of spending hundreds and thousands of dollars on, you know, equipment that's meant to solve problems. And then, you know, a few months later, they've made completely redundant. But I guess it's also, you know, on a deeper level, it's, um, you know, it's it's a really clear and visible sign that, you know, the end is in sight and mum's getting sicker and everything like that. But it's sort of funny, like I often um, think about um, 
you know, comparing childcare to aged care. And if you flip it, you know, if you've got a three-month-old baby, you know, they're going to need a high chair at some point. And then, you know, at some point they're going to grow out of that. And then, you know, they have some other piece of equipment, but then they're going to grow out of that. And it's all fine. And it's just, you just put it on Gumtree and you sell it and, you know, Mm. oh, look, they're too big for their cot. Now we have to get them a normal bed. But... I think, you know, there's something, obviously, there's a lot of sort of positive associations of growing out of things, whereas in aged care, the opposite, it's just, you know, you, you're just kind of getting closer and closer to the finish line, which is, you know, pretty bleak and depressing. I'm not going to lie, my stress levels plummeted when mum moved into her nursing home. But the emo baggage just morphed into other forms. Firstly, grief. Don't think you need to wait for a death to respond to loss. You can start months or years before the fact. It's called anticipatory grief. Look it up. If this sounds familiar, chat to your GP about a Medicare mental health care plan. It's like Groupon for counselling. I highly recommend. Guilt is the other big-ticket emotion that can run rampant at this point. Apparently, there are many similarities between working mother guilt and working daughter guilt. There's also Catholic guilt, which is more old school and common in Irish-Australian mother-daughter dynamics. Whatever your style, don't underestimate the importance of having a support network for venting and distraction purposes. Moving into a nursing home doesn't mean the end of your caregiving responsibilities. It's just another phase in the journey. I mean, they're they're adjusting as well. Everyone yeah. is trying to adjust and still trying to just do all the right things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was fortunate that, um, you know, my, my nana was in a nursing home only sort of 25 minutes away and I'd go there several times a week, mm. you know, to sit with her and have dinner and to keep up the, the routine yeah. and the traditions that we were doing at, at home and yeah. so she could socialise and have company and, and still feel okay, particularly with her memory getting worse she she needed that yeah you know reassurance and company that even though you're in an aged care facility that can't that level of, of comfort and socialization can't always be yeah. provided there can't be someone sitting there with you all the time yeah and it's those those familiar routines that really uh kind of make or break the quality of life Oh, absolutely, absolutely. My yeah. brother would, would visit her at home once a week and bring, you know, takeaway, takeaway night, and, and we could continue that yeah. in the nursing home. He'd just get La Paqueta from up the road yeah. and, you know, <laughs> it'd be a little pizza party in yeah. <laughs> in her room. And, you know, she had a little bar fridge that we got there because entertaining was always really important to her and yeah. that was something we could carry on, that we'd always made sure it was stocked. So if she had visitors, you know, drink, she could yeah. offer them, you know, a drink. Or yeah. some food, or, or something, to just carry on that normality. Yeah. You know that doesn't stop just because you've moved into a nursing home. Mm. You've still got a life that you're leading. At the end of our chat, I asked Nicole about the representation of caregiving in the media and pop culture. I feel like there's hardly anything out there that conveys its diversity and positive effects. And representation leads to normalisation. You know, no surprises on what we fangirled over. The heartwarming and mouth-watering Instagram account, Yaya Next Door, which went viral earlier this year. It's two Aussie brothers whose next-door neighbour, their adopted Yaya, smothers them in grandmotherly love by way of homemade Greek food 
hand-delivered over their colour bond fence. It's such a beautiful example of how caregiving can go both ways, between young and old, and creates community. Yeah, for people that um, haven't seen it, it's it's really a, a great grandmother who looks after the two sort of you know younger lads next door who yeah. are brothers who and live in their nonna's house who yeah. live in their nonna's house, and you just see the wonderful relationship of you know making the food and it passing across the fence and um, just the relationship they have. I mean, that was something that when I saw that, I just went, yeah, wow, yeah. That, I could totally relate to it, Um, you know, my grandmother just wanting to, you know, feed me as much as she could, just in our family to be the lemon slice, you know, it's the lemon slice that's made that you have with a a cup of tea or or coffee, you know, that can't, you know, that was the staple. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was such a pleasure to connect with Nicole and hear her story. It was like we both discovered we were members of the same secret club and you get a life membership too even if your loved one is no longer around. I mean, there's so many challenges, but there are just so many positives that you get out of it. I mean, working as a, you know, as a physio, as a healthcare professional, even though I've done it for, for so many years, I can just relate to patients on a totally mm. new level now. Um, I can relate to carers on a totally new level. The conversations that I have with people are just so different. Yeah. And I'm happy to share, you know, some of my journey and some of my experience as a carer with them and and just seeing the way people open up and change when you actually say oh you you know I used to be a carer and they just look at you and go they just look at you so differently and you you can just connect with people on Mm. a completely different level so I mean professionally that has been great but um, I mean probably more importantly personally it's just taught me so much about myself. It really makes you value what's important in life. And I remember thinking, you know, after she passed away, at the end of the day, all all you really have with people is memories. And that's really what's so important is is just making memories with people and, you know, just, just living life. Thanks to Nicole Dunn for sharing her story. Since we chatted... She's testified on her experience as a young carer in the Royal Commission into Aged Care and was inducted as a carer champion by Carers Victoria. Check out her business, Empower Aged Care Consulting, on Facebook and Instagram because she posts awesome resources and translates complex industry news and jargon into really simple terms. If there's a hot topic or aspect of unpaid family caregiving you'd like us to feature, get in touch email hello at keepingmum.net or join the Keeping Mum network on Instagram. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned for more Carers in Conversation on Keeping Mum.